Blog Talk Radio. Being people who are oriented to the gun, 
we have a habit of going to the gun first. And that's not necessarily the thing we want to be doing. We need to talk about our preparations to not use a gun, how we're going to set up to guard our homes and supplies, how to guard our home, how to set up a good perimeter. You need to know that any kind of natural man-made disaster can put you in peril. The lives are already dangerous enough. So we need to be ready to go and prepared to deal with any circumstance that comes up, natural disaster or a robbery, hurricane, an assault, carjacking, attempted murder, take your pick. All of these things can happen, and we need to be prepared for them. Fortunately for me tonight, as I was getting ready to log in, I was listening to a, a nice long one-hour presentation on YouTube by Jeff Cooper speaking about personal safety. One of the things that he spoke about in there is awareness. That was his hot ticket item, being aware of what's going on around you, being prepared to deal with the situation, knowing that you know how to deal with the situation, and being preconditioned to respond appropriately. If any of you are familiar with that, I invite you to go ahead and call in. Our call-in number is 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And I've got 49 lines free, so just dial right on in. Let's see. I've Thanks. got call Area code 254. Is that you, Scott? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Sam. I've got... Uh, and some kind of a uh, glitch, I guess, with the blog talk system. Uh, it's happened twice before now, where where I don't get any audio from uh, from the host line. So I'm just calling in myself uh, as on the on the guest line. Uh, thanks, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in tonight. Uh, we appreciate uh, you folks listening, as we always do. The uh, Rifleman Radio Show is dedicated to bringing you the absolute best information possible on rifle marksmanship, rifle safety, American heritage, and the things that each and every citizen can do in order to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, in an ongoing series of the uh, rifleman as a prepared rifleman, we're going to be talking about uh, the things that you can do uh, for your personal safety. Now, the uh, most people think that uh, that whenever you're talking about uh, uh, prepping and self-reliance, that that uh, you're thinking about uh, uh, you know providing security for your your uh, your compound or for your, uh, uh, you know, guarding your stores or, or putting up perimeter guard duty, et cetera, stuff like that. But I got to tell you that, uh, that it doesn't, we don't need the, uh, the end of the world to come in order for us to, to face danger. I mean, we have, uh, in our daily lives, 
even without any kind of uh, man-made or natural disaster, uh, we still get uh, uh, tens of thousands of uh, assaults and murders and car wrecks and drownings and you name it, and it's happening to somebody right this moment. And each and every one of us uh, have different, we each have different uh, odds that we're facing. You know, every day we we run the gauntlet of uh, of experiencing things like robbery and burglary and assault and carjacking, uh, murder, you name it. Uh, there are a thousand daily things that we face. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can on an everyday basis to ensure the personal safety and the safety of our loved ones. Now, this is not that daunting of a task, right? Because even without me telling any of you guys any information that I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, there's still going to be thousands of you that listen to the show that are going to survive uh, tonight and tomorrow and next week and you know, eventually will survive uh, uh, until the end of your life, right? Uh, without any information I'm telling you. But the way that you go through life, and I was trying to explain this to my daughter today. We were driving uh, to Houston. I just now walked in the door. And, like, uh, and which I hate. I hate uh, being in situations where I have to hit the radio show uh, 30 seconds after getting out of my vehicle. But uh, that's the case sometimes. Anyway, when she was asking me about what I was what I was talking about, I said, "Look, we've got uh, we have different uh, different things that we face every day, and one of the things that." <clears throat> we face is it's a big odds game. If uh, While we're driving down the road, I told her, I said, if, if you said, hey, Daddy, I'm going to climb out this window while we're driving and get on top of the the pickup, and I'm going to stand up there like I'm surfing. And, I, and then I looked at her and I said, cool, do it. And she rolled down the window and she managed to climb out the window, get on top of the car and surf and then climb back in and sit in the seat and said, wow. And I looked at her and I go, wow, that was great. She did it. She did it. She lived through it. No problem. However, I said, if you do that every day, then the odds are going to catch up to you. One of the times when you do it, you're you're going to slip on the door as you put your foot on the door to press yourself up onto the roof, or I'm going to hit a bump uh, and cause you to lose uh, your hang tan, and you're going to go off the side of the truck. Something's going to happen, and you're going to go under the wheels of the truck, or you're going to roll on the highway. Something's going to happen because the odds do not favor you climbing up on the car and car surfing at 70 miles an hour and getting it right every time. They just don't. Something something else is going to happen. Something is going to be introduced that's going to cause uh, the parameters of the situation to uh, to be mixed a bit differently, and some other outcome is going to be achieved. That's just the way it is. That's the way life is. And that's how, that's the way that we live our lives. Is on. Uh, it could be looked at as a great big game of chance. Uh, The more 
the more often you do something, the more chances there are for some part of the equation to be altered. So what we need to do is to do our best to stack the odds in our favor. Now, you may be uh, you may be one of the people that can that can get out on top of the car and surf every single day on the way to work, and you can do that for the next 25 or 30 years, and nothing ever happens. But but then you might also be getting into the bathtub the the next day and, and slip and break your neck or drown in the tub. The the odds are never going to be perfectly aligned for you of their own uh, volition. You're going to have to do some of the, the stacking yourself. So what you have to do is you're going to have to try and stack the odds in your favor the best you can. And you can do that by taking a look at your life, taking a look at your life and and uh, doing a risk assessment and see where your risks are coming from and then doing your best to uh, to try and anticipate and then limit or eliminate uh, as many of the risks as you can. Uh, before we get started, I want to give everybody a chance to to call in, if they would like to call in, to call in and uh, thank their, their local Appleseed crews. Sam already gave you the number, 347 that's the number you can use to call in and tell your local Appleseed Rifle Marketship Project, project crew thank you because they are, they are doing their part every weekend of the year at a location within reasonable driving distance of you to put on the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today, and they're doing it uh, – out of the goodness of their heart. Nobody's getting paid to do it. Everyone is donating their time to do this. Everyone is volunteering to push this project as fast as we can, to get it out to as many uh, folks as we can and to to try and get as many people to attend as we can. It is the Appleseed Project is a uh, nationwide nonprofit organization, like I said, dedicated to teaching the absolute best rifle marksmanship program in the nation today, and at the same time, uh, speaking to folks about the heritage of this nation, speaking to folks about how this nation was started, how it was born, on the specific date it was born, April 19, 1775. That's the day our nation was born, uh, July 4, 1776, uh, or any other day. It was April 19, 1775. And while you're at an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event, we're going to talk to you about who was there, what they did, why they did it, uh, about the events leading up to this date. We're going to talk to you about why it was decided that uh, eventually the nation would, uh, would become its own independent nation rather than remain a vassal of Great Britain. We'll talk to you about what the founders saw at the beginning of this nation, what they envisioned for the nation, and then we'll ask you to think about uh, if you think that that what you see now today 
is a nation that the founders envisioned. Now, Appleseed doesn't have any uh, politics, at least no politics newer than uh, 237 years ago. Uh, we don't have any training as far as training implying that we're giving you something that you're going to use at a later date because we're simply teaching you rifle marksmanship skills. We're not getting you trained for anything. We're teaching you rifle marksmanship skills and American heritage. We don't do any military stuff. Uh, there's no uh, there's no boot camp uh, stuff, uh, no drill instructor stuff. Uh, nobody's going to be talking down on you, talking down to you about your gear or equipment. Appleseed is probably the uh, the least uh, the least gear conscious program in the nation today. Uh, especially the way we started out, and uh, that is with with hardly any gear. When folks uh, when folks would come to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event, uh, especially one of my my good friends, uh, uh, Big D, he would bring uh, his rifle and a five gallon bucket. And the five gallon bucket had uh, a gallon of frozen water. It had all his ammunition in it. And he got down to the line and he took off his uh, uh, his military surplus uh, uniform. Uh, fatigue jacket, laid it on the ground. That was his shooting pad. And uh, that's everything he had. He had the rifle and a five-gallon bucket, and that's how he shot the day. And and we're still like that as far as nobody's going to look at your gear and say, man, you know, your gear sucks, or you should have a better rifle than that. Nothing like that. We're not going to tell you what kind of rifle you need to have. Or, uh, well, we can certainly be dependent on to give you advice, but whatever rifle you have, whatever rifle you bring, that's the rifle we're going to teach you to shoot. And we're going to teach you to shoot it better than 99.999% of your fellow firearms owners in America today. And the course cost is going to be the least expensive course that you can find anywhere on the face of the planet. Uh, being a nonprofit organization, we're not relying on uh, the proceeds from this to make us rich. Uh, we're just trying to make enough that we can keep getting supplies to our instructors, that we can keep paying to have uh, T-shirts printed up, which, by the way, everybody that comes to an event gets a free T-shirt that uh, we can keep having targets printed up and keep uh, putting them in uh, the UPS trucks and making them go across the nation to hundreds of locations. Uh, and we can still do that at the same price as we started out doing it, and that is uh, 70 bucks for uh, pre-registering male who is not uh, – a member of the military as far as active duty, guard, or reserve, or law enforcement officer, uh, $10 for a female, and $5 for children, which are uh, which are under 21. All right? I don't know that, you, that there's not a cheaper place to get uh, marksmanship uh, instruction. There's just not. All right? <clears throat> All right. Uh, are you guys 
you guys, I'm looking at the chat. Are you is it, uh, are you guys hearing me there? Post there if you're hearing me because uh, uh, Liberty is saying that there is nothing. <clears throat> so somebody post on there if, uh, if we're getting audio on here. It uh, kills me that I've got to ask this, but I guess we do. <clears throat> All right. Uh, if uh, I'm still not seeing anybody posting on there, but maybe uh, maybe maybe Blog Talk is just uh, running uh, is just running uh, hinky again tonight as they usually do, and that that bothers me quite often because it's not free. I have to pay to do this, and I pay a fairly pretty penny uh, every year to do this, and I don't charge anything for the radio show. Uh, so, uh, and I know that they're making money, so I would I would be happier if the service was better, uh, but uh, it's not always that great. Okay, I see that you guys can hear me. All right, so I'm coming across. Okay, <clears throat> so if you would like to call in, then uh, you're welcome to do so. We're going to go ahead and start the show and, uh, and start running our topic. But uh, you're welcome to call in any time during the show. If you have some questions uh, or you'd like to make any comments, you're welcome to do so at any time during the show. I'll keep watching the uh, the switchboard. And if I don't see you, then uh, Sam will be sure to. He always puts a message in front of me if I don't uh, if I don't see it right off the bat. We'll get you on the air to uh, to give your comments or ask your questions. All right. <laughs> okay. So so what we're going to talk about tonight then is how to stack the odds in your favor. And uh, and this doesn't take a whole lot. Uh, we're talking about uh, very simple things you can start doing right now, right this minute, uh, to start stacking the odds in your favor. Okay? Now, we're gonna, we'll talk about several uh about several different aspects of it we'll talk about uh about crime and violent crime and then uh, we'll talk about some accidents a little bit later too but right now let's start off with uh of course the most uh, important thing or at least you think it's the most important right and that is violent crime how to keep your sa- yourself safe from violent crimes when it's not the end of the world when it's in every day you know if it's at the end of the world i'm sure that uh uh, you're going to do whatever it is you think you should do. And uh, and if there are no laws in place, uh, if it's just going to be the laws of human nature, then uh, I guess that will work itself out too, right? And we'll see how that works. Uh, I'm sure that some folks, uh, or at least they say they will, they say they're going to blast first and ask questions later, right? Well, let's talk about the statistics of crime for just a minute. Now, I'm going to use uh, some statistics that uh, they're a little bit older, and these are work about a New York uh, City, and uh, it's probably been about eight or nine years ago that when these came up. They're still valid, because the, while percentage points will shift back and forth a bit, they, they don't, they don't uh, have any, uh, any really wild swing shifts. So all this stuff is still going to be, uh, it's going to be very valid, all right? So right now, for violent crime, uh, 52% of 
of Omicron occurs between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. So that's roughly half of it, right? So we know that the other 48% occurs from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So it's roughly pretty much split. And uh, the odds of a violent crime occurring are going to be for for whoever it occurs to are going to be about the same between night and day. Now you got to understand too that <clears throat> that when people when you're when we're talking about statistics, the statistics it doesn't work out so that we're talking about every single person, right? When we're talking about something like say one in four persons will experience uh, crime X, Y, or Z. <clears throat> That doesn't mean that everybody has the same equal chance of experiencing that crime, because they don't. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight: is how to put yourself into the uh, the the low percentage, so that you're not one of the folks that's being uh, listed as the uh, the one in four that gets to experience a crime. All right. Fifty-two percent of violent crimes occur between six a.m. and six p.m. Another forty-eight percent of the violent crimes will occur between six p.m. and six a.m. All right, so it's half and half, night and day. Uh, about thirty-two percent of the violent crimes occur at or near the victim's residence. So we're talking about uh, close to one out of every three of the crimes that occur happening at or near the victim's residence. Uh, if you talk about things like sexual assaults, then of course the numbers change a bit. Uh, sexual assaults occur uh, almost uh, uh, two-thirds, 63% are going to occur at night because, because of the situations that uh, folks find themselves in. 72% of vehicle deaths occur uh, at night. Now, let's look at some of the locations. I'll do a quick breakdown of the locations. Uh, 21% of crimes will occur during leisure activities. And leisure activities can be uh, sporting events, dance halls, restaurants, bars, uh, and... uh, uh, and, and any of the other things that you're that are considered leisure activities, and that could also be putt putt or anything that you would consider a, a leisure activity. It's going to take about 21% uh, as far as the location of the crimes. Uh, 20% of crimes are going to occur to folks while they're traveling. Uh, 23%. Uh, Actually, 24% of crimes occur at home, and uh, and then about 11% or so occur at work or on the way to and from work, and then the remainder are uh, at at various other locations. So that's a quick breakdown of the crime. So let's start at the house. If uh, if one in four uh, violent crimes uh, occur at home, then uh, we'll just start there because that's going to be the majority uh, of the of the crimes. 
Uh, and let me give you a quick uh, let me give you a quick little tool here that you can use. Uh, you may want to be looking at this while I'm talking. Uh, there's a uh, a website called Trulia.com, right? And you can go to www.trulia.com backslash local. And what they've done is they've taken crime statistics and entered it onto a map. And uh, you can take a look at that map, and you can see what crimes occurred where. And uh, I believe they also had a tool. I was reading about this a little while back. They had a tool that would that allowed them to break down crimes between uh, violent and nonviolent crimes. And that made a big difference because, uh, let's say they were looking at uh, uh what were they looking at? Oh, in Oakland. They said they were taking a look at Oakland, and it looked like most of the crime was occurring right there at the university. I mean, it was like a big hotspot for crime. And uh, and they thought that was strange, so they took a look at it, had it been broken it down in between uh, violent crime and regular crime. And... Uh, it came out that, that there was very little, if any, violent crime along the, the university there, and all of the crimes that were occurring were happening right on what they called University Row, and those crimes were noise complaints. Uh, there were hundreds of noise complaints, and then uh, probably uh, minors in possession and public intoxication, things like that, on Fraternity Row, but no violent crimes. If you switched over to the violent crimes, and then you'd see that in Oakland anyway, then the, the violence was occurring in East Oakland and West Oakland, but uh, not there uh, at the university. But you can use this website to take a look at the types of crimes that are happening and where they're happening. Uh, whenever you're looking at uh, basically anywhere in the country, I'm not going to tell you because I don't know how accurate and up-to-date they are with this system. I just happened to point it the other day, and I'm kind of playing with it now to see how how much information you can get out of it. But uh, certainly it can be helpful, because in just a minute we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about placing yourself in danger, and this can certainly be a tool to uh, to assist you in keeping yourself from putting yourself in danger, all right? <clears throat> okay, so we're going to start at the house uh, because that's where uh, if you broke the crimes down, uh, the majority would end up being at home. Now, uh, we can also tell you that a great deal of the crimes that occur, especially to women, uh, uh, assault simple assault, aggravated assault, rape, and murder, a great deal of those crimes are not committed by strangers. They're occurred by someone the woman knows, a boyfriend, a husband, an ex-husband, an ex-boyfriend. The majority is someone the woman knows. That's why you always see in the 
the crime uh, shows, they lean hard on the husband the minute uh, they start questioning him. And, of course, everybody's outraged. And, and I know certainly I would be outraged, too. Uh, and uh, if somebody was uh, accusing me, uh, if I was innocent, somebody was accusing me of committing some type of harm or crime against a loved one. But the statistics show that that that's normally the case. It's normally someone that uh, the woman knows that ends up uh, that ends up hurting them. All right. Are you guys still uh, are you guys still having trouble with the audio? If you are, let me let me see if it has any. I, I, I've tried before doing all kinds of things, switching out my phone and uh, and using different phones, all different kinds of phones and stuff, and that seems not to affect it. The only thing I can think is it's something at Blog Talk, and I really hate to. Uh, I really hate to think this, that it might be uh, that it might be due to the content that this show is listed uh, as conservative and political. Uh, but I have to wonder sometimes too. Uh, I just now switched phones, so if they, if that makes any difference, let me know about that. If you can listen to if you can listen to the show, uh, I told you guys this before, but I, for those of you that that haven't heard it, Blog Talk uh, hates Internet Explorer. So in order for you to get the most out of the show, you're going to have to uh, run the show on the Firefox platform if you can. If you can open up a the Mozilla Firefox and uh, run it on that platform, uh, it's going to be a lot less. Uh, uh, there will be a lot less difficulties if you can do that. All right. Uh, but if you do, the tire just got out of the phone off. Well, folks, look like Scott got himself bumped offline here. His phone just dropped off. He'll dial back in in a moment. If you are having trouble hearing, uh, please download you a copy of Firefox. It seems to work wonderfully, and Blog Talk loves it. And uh, Blog Talk just seems to hate Internet Exploder. I don't know why, but it does. Well, a lot of folks have gotten away from IE out here and we're all using Firefox. If any of y'all have any questions or any commentary to make about your uh, recent shoots, people helping you out, and achievements you've been making, want to pass out some online pat on the backs, please dial in, uh, get on air, and uh, we get out. Here, Scotty, just come back. Hey, guys. Once again, I apologize for the, uh, the glitches. I have no idea. 
have no idea why. All right, let's get back into this. Uh, so we're starting in the home because that's where the majority of the crimes uh, end up being committed. All right, now, like I said, a great deal of these crimes, especially uh, that occur with uh, with women or children being assaulted, a lot of those can happen from the folks in the home that that are known to them. And uh, we won't talk about that right, much right now. I will tell you that uh, that if you are the victim of an assault of somebody that you know, some type of domestic uh, violence, uh, the absolute most ridiculous thing you can do is to ignore it. Uh, these things don't happen. Uh, they're not isolated incidents. They never are. They never are. So if something happens, uh, immediately get get some help from someone and then get out of that situation, okay? Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the crimes from folks that you don't know. And... Uh, Let's talk about the fact that uh, the most simple way to prevent crimes in your home, the absolutely most simple way, and it it seems almost silly for me to say this, but it is the most effective way, and that is to lock your door. To lock your door on your home. And I know that you guys are a lot of folks are thinking, well, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Because just because I lock the door of my home, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to stop somebody. They can get an axe and break in. Uh, you know, they could uh, they could repel out of a helicopter and cut a hole in the roof with a shape charge and uh, kind of get in and assault me anyway. And you're right, they can. Uh, and it uh, the the data. If you look at the data for offenders, uh, it would look like uh, like a pyramid, right? At the very top of the pyramid would be those very very few folks that uh, that can get into your house, no matter what you do, no matter if you built it up into a bunker like Fort Knox, they can still get in. Uh, like, they're like Tom Cruise and his guys. They can still get in uh, or Mission Impossible and get in there, but but. Why? Why would they do that? What do you have that they want? We'll talk about that in a minute for your risk assessment. At the bottom of the pyramid, the base, which is really wide, and where the most offenders are, the most likely thing you're to experience, and that is the common criminal. And let's talk about the common criminals, because the majority of the folks that are committing crimes uh, are not hardworking uh, folks with brilliant minds. They're not. Uh, you know, if they are, they would they would probably be able to see the errors of their ways and they would, uh, they would get a good job doing something else, but they're not. They're usually, uh, they're usually uh, not schooled that well. They have little uh, to no education and, uh, and, they follow with their their crime life follows the path of least resistance. They're going to do the things that are the easiest and simplest things 
in order for them to commit their crimes. And the easiest and simplest thing that they can do as they're walking down the the sidewalk is to go up and check the door. And if the door's open, then they go inside. That's the easiest thing. They don't have to get any tools and... uh, and figure out how to open the door. They don't have to break a window and climb in. All they have to do is put their hand on the knob and turn it and go inside. And that's what the majority of the folks that you'll ever run into, that's going to be the majority of them right there. Now, the reasons they want to get inside are going to be varied. Uh, And and nobody's going to be able to tell you what that is. It's going to be a, a, a roll of the dice. Uh, They may just be looking for uh, a place to get out of the weather. They may just want to, you know, climb into the garage or something and and shelter out the night. Or they may be uh, looking to see if they can dash in real quick and grab uh, uh, the TV and the DVR and uh, and dash back out and go sell it to their crack dealer. Uh, Or they may be sexual predators. And, and trying to to locate uh, an easy prey victim. Regardless, the majority of them are going to be turned away when they grab the door and they find it locked. Why? Like I said, they, the criminals, the majority of the criminals are not, uh, they don't have the Puritan work ethic. Uh, they, they are not going to be working hard at this because they know that if the door they grab onto and try the knob on is locked, the next one won't be. So if your door is locked, we're going to move on to the next house. So the first thing that you do when you come into your home is lock the doors. Lock the doors when you come in, even if it's during the day. Even if uh, you have uh, you just uh, went out and put something in the garage or uh, or got something out of the car and you're going to go back for another load in just a second, when you walk in the door, you turn and you lock the door. That's going to permit. I mean, that's going to uh, eliminate the majority of the crimes that you're going to experience at home. Now, like I said, this isn't going to stop every criminal, but it's going to stop all but the most uh, determined criminals. Uh Okay, and uh, and we'll talk about this in again in a minute too. But I want you to get into the habit of locking the door wherever you go, wherever you are, not just in your home. Lock the door the minute you get in your car, in your hotel room, in your office, in the bathroom if you're out in public. Wherever you go, if there's a the ability to lock the door, the minute you turn and you shut the door, you lock the door. All right. And uh, and let's talk real quick about uh, your exterior doors. All right, all of the doors that uh, in your home that leads the outside 
should have, at the minimum, should have a deadbolt installed on them. Uh, this uh, this is because the simple turning click bolts uh, locks uh, are fairly easy to bypass, and uh, and and while they will serve uh, some purpose, uh, as I said, they're 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 usually fairly easy to get into with a piece of wire or a uh, a driver's license or a credit card or something like that. Credit cards don't work as good because they're usually they're a little bit too thick. But the driver's license, uh, especially the old ones, uh, worked really good because they would they could bend around the edge of that door fairly easy. And you rock the door back and forth when you put pressure on that card, and every time you rock it back and forth, <clears throat> you slide it a little bit further until you can you manage to get the plastic in between uh, the middle portion of the door lock and the female portion uh, in the door jam, <clears throat> and then you can just push it open. So the turn and click lock is good, but here's for the way it should work. When you walk into your house, you shut the door. And what you do is you use that turn and click lock, but you only use that to give you an extra 30 seconds to manipulate the deadbolt, right? So the first thing you do when you shut the door, bang, you hit the clicking, the, the lock that's in the door handle and lock that lock. The minute your pin comes off that, it goes straight to the deadbolt lock and locks the deadbolt, all right? That's the procedure that you get into. And, and, and this needs to be a habit, and you've got to... You probably have to work at it a bit to get it into a habit, but it needs to be a habit because if you look at the statistics, if you look at the crime reports, the majority of the cases are going to say, the person is going to say, I walked in the house and shut the door, but I didn't lock it. How do they gain interest in the home? Through the unlocked door. All right? <clears throat> now, while we're talking about exterior doors, let's also talk about doors that are exterior doors, but that you don't use a lot. And because you don't use them a lot, you don't you don't you don't think about them that much. But the bad guys do. Because the bad guys know you don't think about them and they look at them. And these are the the doors leading from the garage into your home. Now most of the people will lock their front door and their back door. They go to the front door and lock, they go to the back door and lock and they go, Okay, I'm good to go. <clears throat> but they don't go to their the door leading to their garage and lock it. In a lot of cases, I've seen folks where they don't even have a lock on that door. They're depending on their garage door to uh, to provide the security for that section of the home. But your garage door is going to be up a lot, right? So you want to make sure that the door that leads into the garage has a lock and then has a deadbolt on it too. And then that door is locked uh, whenever you're in the home just like all the rest of the doors. The other thing that we'll talk about exterior doors is the sliding glass doors and then doors that are on uh, uh, second floor landings. If you have a door that goes out to a patio on the second floor, it goes into a balcony, very rarely are those doors locked. <clears throat> I can't tell you the number of times that uh, I've been at someone's house and they've been locked out and I look and I see that they've got a uh, a balcony with a patio door, and I said, well, there you go. There's the opening right there. Said, well, how do you know that it's unlocked? I said, because they always are. They always are. 
and sure enough, uh, I would say uh, 19 out of 20 doors that I've tried that way, they're open. Because people think that uh, this is the second floor. No one can get up here. Well, they can get up there pretty easy. And a lot of uh, a lot of the crooks that uh, maybe they're not on that first tier, the ones that check the bottom floor doors and walk away, maybe they're on the second tier. And these guys uh, are still kind of uh, slow, and they're not that hardworking, but but they but they need their fix. So they're going to work just a little bit harder, and they're going to drag a trash can over, or the uh, or the ladder, the step ladder that you have sitting in the garage or on the side of the house, which they should never have access to, but people leave them out all the time. They're going to grab that ladder of the trash can. They're going to go up to that balcony, and they're going to go into that open balcony on the second-floor landing. Make sure that the second-floor windows and doors are locked. All right? If you are in the house, they should be locked. They should be locked if you're not in the house, too, right? You want to come home to uh, a party of criminals going on. But if you are in the house, they should be locked. The doors and windows should be locked. <clears throat> the sliding glass doors, for some reason... For some reason, people seem to think uh, that those doors don't need to be locked. I don't understand that either. I, I don't, I, obviously, there's some reason that they think that or they do that, but I can't figure it out. But they do. Uh, at least 50% of the time, you can go to the sliding glass door on a home, and you can gain access through the door through the, the door. Uh, because it's not locked. Now, even if it is locked, because of the way that they're manufactured, the doors are set up so that the sliding part of the door can be lifted in and out of the door in order to place it. I used to install uh, sliding glass doors and windows and everything else, and and that's one of the reasons it's made that way. You, you put the frame into place, and then you can pick the door up, and you set it into its tracks, and then you can shut it and lock it. However... Because it's made that way, you can also take a screwdriver or a little uh, piece of one by 2 or whatever. You can put it at the edge of the door. You can lift it up, and that would lift the locking mechanism up high enough that it slides past the locking mechanism. and allows you to gain access to the, uh, the house that way. Uh, so in order to defeat that uh, method of entry, You'll need to get either uh, one of the uh, quick locks or the uh, the screw-down locks for your door, or at the very minimum, you cut yourself a wooden dowel that lays into the trap, right, right there beside the door. Now, those are not completely dependable because they can be bounced out of there. Uh, sometimes the criminal can work hard enough that uh, he can bounce it out, but it's certainly better than nothing. <clears throat> if you have just a door and you just shut it and just uh, depending on that little click latch, that is easy to defeat. So make sure that your exterior doors have deadbolts, and then make sure that all of the exterior doors are locked. The door going into the garage, and then the glass sliding doors, and then exterior doors on second floor landings. Make sure that the that those doors and windows are locked. Uh, All right. Uh, And then one last word on the doors and deadbolts. 
and that is using uh, the regular deadbolts that have just a knob is great for all of your doors except doors that have glass in them. If you have a door that has glass in it, then you'll need to use a keyed deadbolt. And that's a deadbolt that, that is open with a key from inside and outside. And that way, if the person breaks the glass, they can't just stick their hand through the broken glass, turn the deadbolt knob, and then gain access that way. Uh, and if you do that, then you need to remember a couple of other things. One, don't leave the key in the door because that defeats the purpose of having a keyed deadbolt. Two, don't have the key hidden so well that in the case of a fire or if you've got to get out, that uh, that you can't find the key to get out, all right? Most people will take the key and place it, uh, like on a hook, far enough away from the door that it can't be reached by a person's hand or uh, or some kind of a, a jury-rigged uh, uh, device that they can use to go over and get it. You put the key, say, uh, six, seven feet away from the door, but uh, uh, in a location that's easy to get to and get it out, then that's the best idea. That way everybody can get to the key and open the door and get out, and uh, folks trying to gain access can't uh, break the glass, reach in with their hand, and turn the key, or take some device and reach over and grab it off the hook that's near the door. All right? Now, when someone comes to these doors that you've locked and they knock on the door, you don't walk up to the door and automatically throw the deadbolts and open the door and say, yes, can I help you? All right? It completely defeats the whole purpose of uh, of locking the doors in the first place, right? What you want to do is make sure that you have uh, a peep, some type of a, uh, a peephole or observation port that you can use to look outside and see who's out there and what they're doing. And uh, when you do this, then there is still no reason to immediately open the door even if the person says they are uh, uh, part of if they're a municipal worker or some type of a law enforcement agent or, uh, or, or it doesn't matter, whoever, there's still no reason to open the door at that point, right? You don't know for a fact who they are. They're just telling you something. They could tell you they're Santa Claus. You can talk to them through the locked door. If they want to gain entry to the house for some reason, you can ask them for identification. If they are from some uh, uh, municipal uh, uh, place, waterworks, uh, who you know, gas, whoever, then uh, you can ask them to uh, to wait just a moment while you call and confirm. Now, don't ask them for the number. They're going to uh, they'll give you the number of the guy that's in the car waiting to help them rob you, and you'll call, and that person will say, "Oh yeah, that's definitely our guy right there." Uh, it's not hard to, to look up the number for whoever it is they say they work with and call them and say, uh, do you have somebody out here at my house? And if so, what do they look like? There, there's no reason you can't do this. Uh, there's no emergency so dire uh, for a water worker or a gas uh, line inspector or anything that you can't do this. All right? 
uh, if it is the, the mailman or UPS or somebody else, make sure that you have a, a restricting chain that is connected to the door. Don't get a, get the best ones that they make. They make some really hardcore ones. Get some of the best ones that they make. Make sure that you have it uh, screwed into the the door and the door frame uh, with nice long screws, and you open the door only enough for them to hand you whatever documents you're going to hand you. Uh, most of the folks, most of you guys know your UPS guy. You know what time they come, stuff like that. You know, you can see the vehicle sitting there. Uh, you have to use your best common sense. And then uh, and then another note that I'm going to interject here and that... Uh, and that I'm going to refer back to, again, over and over. Uh, and that is, if you, I, I want you to to start learning, start developing your instincts and start learning to trust them, all right? If something doesn't seem right, and I don't care, I, you don't have to have, uh, you don't have to have some kind of a, uh, uh, a factual basis for this. Uh, humans have instinct. Animals have instinct. And people that listen to their instincts live a lot longer than those that don't. If there is something that tells you that this doesn't sound right, it doesn't seem right, then listen to it. The folks that, that end up getting injured, killed, run over, shot, uh, everything else, a great many of those folks are folks whose instincts told them not to do something, and they pushed the override button and did it anyway. They started to park uh, uh, at an event or something, and it just didn't seem right, and they said, this something doesn't seem right. This doesn't, I don't like it here. I'm, I'm being stupid. I'm going to park here anyway. Bang. They get robbed. They get uh, hit, Whatever. Listen to your instincts. Learn to trust your instincts. Uh, at the worst, what are you going to do? You're going to put you're going to put somebody through a little bit uh, of uh, of waiting. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't think that that is a bad trade off for your own personal safety. All right. Uh, if somebody gets upset about it, then to me that's a little bit of a clue that something isn't right. All right. Uh, now, you can also uh, ensure that you have. Uh, well, hold on just a second. Let me take a quick break because we've got a, a caller on here. I'm gonna, I don't want him to have to. I don't want him to have to hold too long. I'll let him. Uh, he wants to say, and then we'll get back to it. Uh, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Hey, Scout. Uh, good to hear your voice again. Like I was saying, uh, it's the first time in a year that I've been able to catch a live program, so I'm, it's a real treat, and I appreciate the topic as well. Well, uh, thank you, sir. You bet. And I don't know uh, if you recall, I was uh, down there at Davila not too long ago, got my rifleman patch, so I just really wanted to call and thank you, uh, SCSI, Alarmless, Reliable, Bullet, Red Hot, and the whole crew down there uh, for having such an excellent program. And since I've taken the Apple Seed, uh, 
you know, my marksmanship is uh, just vastly improved, obviously, as, as you saw. And uh, uh, just thir- enjoy enjoy the sport, hunting and shooting uh, more than more than ever. So I just wanted to really call well, and thank your, you guys. Well, thank you, Andrew. Was that your uh, that was your second event, was it, or was it your first one? It, no, it was my second. If you recall, I came about oh, what was it, a year and a half? About a year ago, ago right? Yeah, about a year ago, and and uh, didn't quite make it. Uh, but I was back new to riflery after being shotgun only for 38 years. Uh, so I got to learn good habits right off the bat uh, with you guys. And then uh, the second one, I came uh, this spring and and qualified. Right. So as soon as I can get yeah. out there again, I'm going to try it again. But I'm going to try it with bolt action. So oh, that sounds great. And. Uh... And I seem to remember that I got that I sent you the photographs, right? And you got them? Yes, I did. Okay, perfect. Well, what Thanks. about uh, what can you add anything to the discussion uh, that we're having right now about uh, safety in uh, the home? Uh, any well, uh, any stories of mistakes you might have made or things that you've done uh, right that uh, happened to uh, to save you? Well, honestly, uh, no. Uh, You've covered pretty much everything um, that I would have thought of. Uh, I, I really appreciate the topic and the review because it's something that my wife and I uh, have been more uh, aware of and alert, uh, openly discussing. And, and uh, I missed a portion of your program, so maybe you've already covered this, but my wife and I are actually actively discussing scenarios, uh, you know, and not making making it flavored or a big habit, but, you know, just every now and then starting the dialogue, what would we do if? And uh, going through the scenario, we try to keep it simple. Uh, you know, it's, it's get to a safe place, get behind the locked door, have the phone, call the police, keep it real basic and simple. Uh, one thing that I, I do appreciate is we don't have a chain on the door. Uh, I'm glad you reviewed that because uh, we follow the other procedures you've outlined, but we don't have a chain on the door. Well, like you know, it's it's the chain on the door isn't gonna it's not gonna fix everything. But like I said, what we're trying to do, we're, you're never gonna fix everything. But what you're trying to do is continuously uh, assess the risk that you face, and then try and continuously uh, to stack the odds in your favor. You know, to keep adding, uh, you know, adding the odds on your favor to try and keep you uh, out of the out of the bad zone. So that's just it's just another small thing that you can do that would uh, allow you to open the door to receive uh, something small, a uh, a letter or or mail or flowers or something like that, without having the door. Completely open. Now, certainly, a person that's 350 pounds can put all their weight against that and rip it out of the door frame. Certainly, they can. But, but a person that's lighter may not be able to. So, like I said, you're not fixing every single thing with what you do. All you're doing is you're stacking the odds in your favor. Mm-hmm. So, adding a chain that may be something that you want to think about. Make sure that when you do get one. Uh, that you take a look at them because they make all different kinds. Don't get the kind that looks like uh, like it's a, uh, yeah, a necklace, necklace from China. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get uh, a good heavy duty chain with the uh, screws that are long enough to go into the uh, 
uh, solidly into the door and into the door frame. And we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about more of the uh, of the scenarios and stuff and uh, and rehearsing stuff for for them in just a second too. So, is there anything else that you got? To, hey, listen before you before you get off, let me tell you guys uh, because you say that uh, you're talking about this with your wife. <clears throat> uh, we have an event coming up uh, in uh, ten days. And it is a women's uh, self-defense and safety course, and uh, it's a, a one-day, eight-hour course, uh, eighty bucks. Anybody can come. Uh, it's titled women's, but uh, ninety-five percent of the information is going to be genderless, and it's going to be discussing uh, a lot of what we're talking about here. And then at the same time, there'll be about fifty percent of it. That will be actual uh, hands-on range time. I'm sure you guys have all seen the the movies where the the woman is being pursued by the criminal with uh, with malicious intent. She runs into the house. She goes into the closet, opens the closet. There's her husband's 12 gauge over and under. Right beside it is a full box of shells. She grabs both of them. She goes over to the bed. She dumps the box onto the bed. There's a stack of uh, a brand new shiny 2.75 inch 12 gauge shells, uh, probably capable of stopping a grizzly uh, from the two or three foot range. And she's got the shotgun in her hand, ready to go. And that's as far as she ever makes it, because that's the limit of her knowledge of the firearms. Uh, what we're going to try and do is fill in the gaps. We're going to show folks, uh, uh, a large assortment of the most common type firearms in use today, uh, shotguns, rifles, and pistols, uh, single-shot pump semi-auto shotguns, uh, same thing for rifles, bolt-action rifles, semi-auto rifles, single-shots, same thing for pistols, uh, revolvers, uh, uh, semi-autos, and we're going to show them uh, how to safely determine if the firearm is loaded, how to load the firearm and fire it. And uh, we're not going to make anybody experts in any of the weapon systems. What we're going to try and do, like I said, is stack the odds in their favor. So that if they come upon one of these firearms, it's not going to be the first time they've ever seen it. But we're going to tell them things like, uh, this is a uh, pump shotgun. In order for you to use it, you're going to have to make sure that there's a round in the chamber. In order to get a round in the chamber, you're going to have to work the action. Here's where the action release usually is, is right here. You'll press it, you pull the slide to the rear, and then push it forward until it locks. The safety is usually located uh, right here, or look for it here, or here. And you get them to understand uh, how to manipulate uh, the firearms and use them uh, in the event that they would be required to do so. So the course will be uh, half uh, information and uh, half hands-on and shooting. And that will be uh, Saturday, August 10th, starting at 8 a.m. here at the Battle Road USA range in uh, Davila, Texas. Uh, you, can get more, you, can, you can get more information about it, and you can register at our website, which is battleroadusa.com, www.battleroadusa.com. You can also see about the upcoming events that we have there, and I'll talk more about that uh, near the end of the show. But uh, if you'd like your wife or any of her friends to attend, uh, Andrew, just uh, shoot me yeah. a note because uh, 
I think it's going to be a great course for women to attend. And uh, and the reason that we're doing it right now is because a couple of folks had had contacted me and said, "Hey, listen, I've got we've got uh, daughters that are heading off to college, and we want we'd like for them to get a uh, self defense and safety course." So uh, it'll talk about uh, like I said, it'll be fifty percent hands on. The other fifty percent will be classroom, which will also cover uh, uh, an introduction to and theory of. Uh, uh, of safety in the home and then while traveling, and then also uh, self-defense techniques, unarmed, less than lethal, stuff like that. So if you want more information about it or to register, go to battleroadusa.com. Do you have anything else uh, that you want to get out, Andrew? No, that'd be about it. Thank you. And, boy, thank you for having such a wide variety and uh, uh, of options and, and training there at Battle Road. That's, that's just fantastic. Hey, no problem. Like I said, if you keep listening, we'll talk about uh, near the end of the show what else we have coming. We've got a great uh, a great uh, deal of courses coming up. I'll just give you a quick, uh, just a real quick rundown. We've got uh, the women's self-defense. We've got the fighting shotgun, which is uh, designed to teach you how to use your home defense or personal defense shotgun the way it's supposed to be used. We've got uh, the combat carbine course coming up. That's a two-day course run by John Hawes. Uh, and it is an excellent course. It's basically uh, almost the same course that he's talked to over 5,000 uh, United States soldiers who are getting ready to deploy. And he's developed the course uh, through the Army marksmanship course that's already in existence, which was uh, helped in development by Delta. And then he tweaked the course after a couple of years of uh, of discussion with enemy insurgents on the techniques. So the course is uh, is a course, not just a theoretical course, but a course from a person who has uh, who has used these skills in combat. And we'll have the Precision Rifle Sniper course. Uh, that's a five-day course that will uh, that will cover uh, everything you wanted to know about using your rifle and making the shots at distance. We've got the uh, end of the world as we know it, zombie running gun coming up October 12th. That is a four and a half mile looping course with uh, eight shooting stations for rifle and pistol. And uh, you'll go the four and a half miles, you'll hit the different stations and shoot, and in between the stations there'll be different obstacles you'll have to negotiate. Uh, Then we'll have, in November, we'll have uh, Squad School. We'll be hosting Squad School. Squad School is a five-day course uh, designed to teach you the things you would need to know if you had to get out of Dodge uh, for a while. And uh, it would see things like general patrolling techniques, camouflage concealment, working together as a team, uh, basic marksmanship, survival evasion and escape methods. And then... Uh, uh, Coming up sometime after that, we're not exactly sure when, will be a three-day course on combat tracking taught by a retired uh, Special Forces uh, instructor who uh, was head of the uh, Army Combat Tracking School in uh, Fort Huerta, Arizona. And uh, then we have uh, also have the basic handgun and uh, fighting handgun and tactical handgun courses coming up too. So uh, take a look at the website, uh, battleroadusa.com, and uh, 
grab one of the courses that you're ready for and uh, get registered for it. There is nothing that will replace training. I don't care how uh, how much you may believe in the theory that a person can rise to the event, rise to the circumstances, and uh, be victorious because it has been shown over and over that that is not the case, that the people always sink to the lowest level of their training. Ensure that your level of training is high enough for you to be victorious. All right, Andrew, thank you very much. And uh, let me know if you've got anybody who wants to take one of the courses. And we'll hopefully we'll see you back again here uh, uh, soon. We've got the uh, the three-day uh, Rutman Boot Camp for actual distance. That's coming up in uh, that is October. Yeah, if, if there's like any chance for, I could make that, I, um, if there's any chance that I can make it, I'll be there. I don't. Uh, we'll just have to see. My schedule's pretty monopolized right now with the uh, pay job, but I hope to see you guys soon. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Andy, for calling in. You bet. Take care, Scott. All right. Bye. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, hold on. We got... Uh, we got Fisher Dog who wants to talk now. Fisher Dog, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, how have you been? I, I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? Uh, doing very well. Enjoying a beautiful Alaska summer up here. Looking forward to a shoot on the 10th and 11th. Fred's going to be here to shoot Boston for us. We're very oh, yeah? Cold. Yeah. And you, you poor guys. <laughs> well, that'll be great. I'm glad... Uh, I'm glad he's taking the time to come up there and uh, and work with you guys. You guys have got a great program running, and I'm always happy to hear about it because uh, because it's a brand new program and uh, and it seems like everybody involved with it is uh, is really motivated. Well, we had a great shoot last month near the town of Soldat in Alaska at a new venue at a private range owned by a, a firearms training company called Majority Arms. Joe and Brenda Treferin had us down. We had 26 shooters on Saturday, 21 on Sunday, enthusiastic, all first-time uh, apple seeders. Uh, it was just, just really wonderful. A lot of thanks go out to Bob210 for coming up to, from California to shoot Bossett. It, it's a, SKS was working a remote job and couldn't make it. We had uh, Eagle River and Vaquero. And Taka two two two, uh, Dirt Diver, and Shear nine six three two on the line working the event with us. So many thanks to all of them and all they do, which was, which is a lot. <laughs> that sounds great. How many people did you guys have on the line? Twenty six on Saturday. Had twenty returnees on Sunday, and and one new shooter, I believe, twenty one total. So. That's great. And how often are you guys running events now? Are you running events once a month? Um, we are running, we're, we had five events on the calendar for this year, and we're going to look to go into once a month next year and possibly okay. adding venues and fairbanks. Okay, that sounds great. You guys are yeah, really speeding along. Your, your, your program is developing uh, really well up there, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you take the time to call in and, and let us know about it. We see it on the schedule. But you guys are, you know, you're at least a couple of hundred miles uh, away from us, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and we enjoy hearing about 
how things are going uh, there in the great white north. Although it's not that it's not that white right now. I'm sure that you guys probably have uh, uh, a few mosquitoes at this time of year, don't you? Yes, we do. They've, they've been bad this year. Depending on where you are, there can be a lot. Well, do the best you can not to uh, not to get anemic and get carried away, and be sure and uh, call in. Uh, every time you have an event, call in and give us the AER for it, okay? Sure will, Scout. All right. Thank you very much, sir. God bless and keep you, and uh, we'll hear from you then uh, in probably another 40 days or so, right? Uh, well, a couple couple. All right. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Tell everybody up in Alaska I said hey. Sure will, Scout. Thank you. God bless. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, I'm really proud of the folks in Alaska and what they're doing uh, and uh, how motivated they are, how they're – they started off with a bang, just like uh, California did. And uh, and they've kept up a good, steady uh, drumbeat ever since then. Uh, it's not – they don't have quite as many as often as uh, as other places. But then uh, Alaska is not really as, uh, spart- as, uh, as densely populated as most of the other states. And uh, I think they're doing a great job. For the length of time they've been going at it, I think they've been doing an excellent job, and and I'm really proud of all the folks. and And my thanks to Fisher Dog for calling in, and also for all the work that he does in promoting it and uh, getting the word out about it. Uh, always keeping a positive attitude, and uh, I really appreciate that. Okay, well let's get back into our uh, our discussion of the home safety. Uh, Right before we started to take the callers, uh, we were talking about keeping the doors locked, keeping them uh, uh, the doors and windows locked, and then uh, additionally, you can make sure that you have uh, exterior lighting. And if you have uh, exterior lighting, there's uh, uh, there's uh, a quite a bit uh, uh, less chance that people are going to. Uh, attempt a uh, a robbery or a break-in on your home at night because the because people can see what they're doing. They can see them skulking about the house or trying to get in. So if you have exterior lighting, then you're you're adding another block of odds in your favor. And if you don't want to keep the lights on all the time, you don't have to do that anymore. The uh, the exterior lights, the floodlights and stuff now with motion detectors uh, have become common enough that the prices have dropped way down on them, all right? So uh, getting a good uh, set, and you can have quite a few of these too because they're not going to be running unless something triggers it. So if you have something, like if you have a uh, uh, an area uh, in your backyard or between your house and your garage or something like that where it's dark and 
and might be a place that someone could lurk or that somebody could break in. And you don't want to keep all your lights on all the time. There's no reason that you can't buy some of the uh, the motion-detecting lights and install them uh, on these locations. That way, if somebody comes up to the back door or to the where the breezeway is between the house and the garage, the motion that they provide as you're walking uh, up to it triggers a light to come on. And it's going to come on and stay on as long as something is triggering the light. Every time there's a movement, the light's going to come on. Uh, that's also a way this can alert you that something's out there. If that light pops on, then you know something triggered that light to come on, some movement out there triggered it to come on. So you can be aware that uh, that something that has movement is out there. All right? So think about exterior lighting and uh, especially exterior lighting with uh, with motion detectors. That keeps you from having to leave it on all the time or to uh, or to run around and turn it on or turn it off and stuff like that, all right? The the motion of a person walking up is going to trigger it and cause the light to come on. And in a great many of the cases, that's going to be enough to cause that, uh, that criminal to seek an easier home to burglarize, an easier home to try and victimize the occupants because... Uh, because that's too much trouble. The light's on. They have, people know that they're there now. Uh, people can see them from across the street. It's, it's too much trouble. <clears throat> uh, so that is another uh, trick in your bag of deterrence and uh, lessening uh, the odds of you being attacked or burglarized and stuff like that. <clears throat> uh, now... <clears throat> You should, uh, just like Andrew was talking about earlier, the the safety inside your home should not be a thing that is uh, that is not discussed. That you that you speak about in 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 quiet, low tones, so that you don't upset anybody or you don't scare the kids and stuff like that. It should be talked about very openly. It should be talked about no different than the way you talk about a fire drill or about uh, what you do if a storm comes or something like that. You should, you should talk about, uh, about safety procedures in your house openly. You should discuss it with your, with your wife or your husband. You should discuss it as a family with your kids so that everybody knows uh, what their job is supposed to be uh, in the event that something happens that they can uh, report to you if they see uh, someone lurking around or uh, you guys can discuss what you would do if somebody tries to break in. And you can discuss the scenarios, just like Andrew was talking about. That's going to be the, one of the best things that you could possibly do. <clears throat> you don't have to go crazy with it, like, uh, what's his name, Clouseau from the Pink Panther. Uh, but and for, for you guys that uh, don't, Remember the Pink Panther? That was uh, uh, the the guy who who had his bodyguard uh, continuously try to attack him uh, when he was least expecting it, so that he could always be uh, on his toes uh, as far as uh, being able to defend himself from attacks. What you can do is you can talk with your your wife or husband and kids and say, here's what's gonna, here's what we would do if something like this happened. If somebody broke into the front door, uh, if you kids, if you were in your rooms, here's what I want you to do. 
uh, I want you to open your doors and, I mean, open your windows. Uh, you know, have your doors shut. Uh, open your windows and climb out the windows and you go to neighbor X, Y, or Z. And that's going to be the rallying point. Or you can tell them, I want you to run across the street and wait for me uh, under the uh, the big oak tree there right across the street. It's no different than you would discuss rallying points for a fire or something else. And uh, then you may even have some drills uh, on this so that it becomes <clears throat> less of a less of a fearful thing and something that you've already done once or twice. So when something happens, it's not it's not going to be second nature, but it's not going to be a complete uh, surprise either. You may want to, and we're going to talk about uh, interior door locks in just a minute, but you may want to talk to your, your kids about this and have them uh, and decide on what plan you want them to use if something happens. Because if you don't, they're going to be left to their own devices, and 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 young kids especially are not known for their abilities to think things out and clearly. All right. Probably the last thing you're going to need if something's going down, if you're trying to defend yourself or your loved ones, is to have one of your children right there next to you. Now you have to worry about them. So you want to figure out what you're going to do and how you plan to do it. Have a plan and work out a plan on what you're going to do. Now, with the exterior doors locked, the doors and windows locked, hopefully that is going to keep uh, the criminals from getting access to your home, right? But how long will it keep them out? If they're determined to get in, and, and in case after case, I don't understand a lot of the reasons for it because it, uh, I guess I don't, I'm not able to question the guy who did it. But you'll hear the, uh, the tapes of the person. They're even yelling at the person that's trying to break into the house saying, I'm calling the police. The person continues to try and break the door down. I don't know if they're on drugs and they don't uh, get it or they're just filled with rage. Regardless, if you've prevented them from getting into the house uh, easily by opening an unlocked door and getting in, then how long can you keep them out of the house? All right? Do you know what the response time is uh, for your location with the local police? Is it uh, five minutes or ten minutes or 15 minutes? Uh, and whatever it is, do you have the ability to keep the uh, – the intruder from gaining access to your house long enough that the police can arrive uh, to assist you. Uh, and if not, then you have to figure out what to do if the person gains entry to your home, all right? If you cannot prevent them from getting in, if they break through a door or they break through a window and get in, uh, or if you've simply not been diligent and keeping the doors and windows locked in the first place, and now the criminal's gained access to your home, what are you going to do now? Do you have a way to, to defend yourself inside your home, or do you have a plan on how to do that? Uh, experts usually advise that that you determine and select a room in your home to be used as a safe room. And uh, the things to consider in this would be uh, something like, uh, I don't know, a bedroom or a bathroom that you can get into that 
doesn't have multiple entrances. By that, I mean it doesn't have several doors that lead in. Uh, and that you can shut the door and lock it to give you additional time if they've gained uh, access to the interior of your home. Now, if that's the case, one of the things you'll need to do is make sure that that door also is preferably a solid core door. And what I mean is most doors in the interior of the home uh, are not manufactured to provide security. Uh, They're usually what's called hollow core doors, and that's simply two thin slices of veneer with normally it's just cardboard inside, and the cardboard isn't a thickness, thick cardboard. It's just uh, like uh, one-inch strips of cardboard that are bent back and forth in order to provide the spacing to make the door's thickness up. So the door is completely, is completely uh, hollow, except for just a few rows, rows of uh, thin cardboard that give the door its thickness. Now, on a door like that, you could easily uh, knock a hole through it with your hand, even by accident. You know, I've I've seen people easily uh, hit a door, uh, a hollow door, in anger, not to break it, but just because I guess they thought they were just going to be able to bump on the door in anger uh, to release some of their anger. Instead, they knocked a hole all straight through the door. You don't want to have a a hollow core door on your safe room. Hopefully you'll have a a solid door or even a metal door to your safe room. Now, I would suggest this would be something like uh, like your bedroom, like the master bedroom or something like that because, you know, it's why, that is probably the best place for you to keep. If you have firearms, we'll talk about firearms in just a second. If you have firearms, probably the best place to keep it is under your supervision in your bedroom, especially if you have uh, minors or, or guests and stuff in the house. And then the room needs to have a uh, – you need to make sure that you have a phone in there with you, either a cell phone or a landline, and then something that you can use to provide for your defense. All right? I would make sure that the door to the safe room had, at the minimum, had a deadbolt lock on it too so that you could deadbolt – lock the door, and that will keep folks from jimmying it. It will make it harder to, to open. I've seen uh, plenty of folks that have had uh, on their safe rooms into their into their safe rooms, they've had even things like the, uh, like you see on uh, the castles. You know, they've had the, uh, the two metal hangers on either side of the door, and then the block of wood or a, uh, uh, or a piece of uh, thick pipe or steel that could slide in there that would assist in keeping the door from opening, even if a person used all their weight or kicked the door, they were still not going to be able to open it because they have that. Or they have some of the devices, uh, the, uh, uh, the I don't know what they're called, kick defenders. That's where you have the, the poles that go from your door down to the ground uh, at an angle to provide additional support to keep on anybody from getting in there. So the safe room gives you, at minimum, will give you it could buy you a few more minutes uh, until the law enforcement arrives uh, to help you if you can create a safe room and get inside there and lock the doors. <clears throat> now, uh, anything that you can do to keep the criminals from getting in the room with you, or at least slowing them down 
while you're waiting for help to arrive is is going to put the odds in your favor. Like I said, you're going to need to make sure that you have a phone with you or a landline in the room with you. Uh, if your state or local laws allow you to have a firearm and you've decided that uh, that you want to have a firearm in your home, which is something that I would recommend, then that's an option you might want to consider. Nothing says I love you like flowers, and nothing says I hate you and I'm in fear for my life like buckshot, right? Uh, A firearm is something that can, that if used correctly, can be a, a huge asset in the defense of yourself or your loved ones. Now, note on firearms in your home. Having a firearm in the home for self-defense is, I think, a good thing. But having the training to use that firearm safely and efficiently is a much, much better thing. If you've got a a firearm in the house, and you say, man, if something happens, I'm going to use this firearm, and something happens, and uh, and you are you're fumbling, and you're unsure of what you're doing, and you're making mistakes, then then it, that could be a serious problem. If you don't understand the uh, some of the ramifications of what you're doing, say in in uh, the fact that that shooting a firearm indiscriminately, even inside your house, can cause unwanted injury or loss of life to people other than the person you're defending yourself from, that is a bad thing. Uh, You need to get some training, all right? I'll put in a plug for us again. You want to get some training from, uh, if you're in Texas and you want to get some training, it's battleroadusa.com, and we'd love to have you, all right? There, I put it in twice. Now I'm I'm using the uh um having uh, the radio station costs to write off for Battle Road for for, uh, for promotions. Uh, but there are many considerations to having a firearm in your home. If there are other folks in the home with you, especially children, you're gonna have to work out the issues concerning access to the firearms, including uh, times maybe when other folks might come to your house and visit you. What I mean is is that if you're going to have firearms in your home, then the firearm is always going to be your responsibility. And that means if you have a firearm in your home and you have it where someone can get to it, a child or uh, the neighbor's kid from across the street or one of your buddies that comes over and he's had a few drinks and he picks it up and starts spinning it uh, uh, like he's in the Wild West and it goes off. These are all things that are always going to come back to you because it's going to be your responsibility for having a firearm in the home. And it's a very heavy responsibility. Firearms uh, are simply tools, but they are very efficient tools. And they can cause injury and death. And, and as we all know, they, they do it on a regular basis, right? <clears throat> uh, there's several things you can do to work uh, these issues out. Uh, one of the things you can do is have gun safes. 
gun safes, and like I said, uh, I would have a gun safe. Uh, I would mix the gun safe within the safe room in the bedroom. Uh, you can have the firearm lock boxes in your home, and these have these are are fairly uh, affordable now. They work out a lot of kinks that they used, that they've had with them at the beginning. Uh, the firearm lock boxes are are locking safes. Uh, designed to hold uh, like a firearm, and and to give you fairly rapid access to it. Uh, that means you can punch in a uh, a phone number code. Uh, some of them will allow you to put your finger uh, into the slot, and it will read your fingerprints biometrically, and open up on that. And if it fails to do that, then it'll have a secondary punch-in code, and then finally it'll have a key that you can use to open it if, if all else fails. Uh, you can look at the different devices they make and select the one that's going to work best for you. Uh, if you have children in the home, I don't care how well you school them, the majority of your firearms are going to need to be locked up. I'm telling you this because it's now a law in most states. If If something happens, God forbid one of the kids grabs one of your firearms and shoots themselves, not only will you have to deal with the loss of your loved one, but the state will could very well go after you uh, in a predatory fashion in order to make an example of you. And I'm telling you that's the last thing that you're going to want, is to be to miss the funeral of your child because you're sitting in jail facing a murder charge uh, for that child or manslaughter charge. <clears throat> So you're going to need to work out the issues with access to the farm. And this is a uh, this is a uh, a kind of a, a finely kind of tuned thing because uh, you need to be able to get access to the firearm rapidly. Uh, and that brings me to the next best bet as far as controlling access to the firearm, especially to handguns, and that's keeping the firearm on you at all times when you're in your home. Listen, especially if you are uh, if you are a concealed carry uh, person, uh, or even if you're not, if you keep the firearm on your person when you're in the house, then you can constantly maintain control of it. And most of the, the state laws and federal laws that I'm aware of will allow you to have a firearm on you in your home uh, without having a license for it. Now, now you check your state and local laws before you do anything concerning a firearm, all right? I'm not a uh, an expert on firearms uh, rules, laws, or regulations. Uh, contact your local authorities and find out from them about the legality of you uh, possessing a firearm in your home and uh, and anything else to do with it, all right? Because, like I said, you don't want to go to jail uh, for successfully defending yourself and your loved ones. <clears throat> but if you're a concealed carry person, then when you get home, why would you remove it? If you know that, uh, that the majority, or at least 50%, of the uh, of crimes occur at or near your residence, 
why would you think that uh, I'm going to take care of myself 50% of the time? The other 50% I'm not. The other 50% I'm just going to wing it. Because if you're at home and you take the firearm off and you go put it in the gun safe, etc., uh, when you hear the, the door bust open or you hear your wife scream because the door was open already and somebody just came in and they're attacking, are you going to have time to go to your gun safe and punch in the numbers? or to dig down to the bottom of your sock drawer, your underwear drawer, and get the pistol out and load it and blah, blah, blah. Is that going to work for you? Because I don't know that that's the best solution. So if you have a concealed carry license, then, then why would you take it off? <clears throat> uh, the majority of the time, I open carry. And uh, I open carry at home. I go to I sit down at the dinner table. I've got my pistol on. I'm at work. I have the pistol on. I don't ever draw attention to it. And the kids have seen me do it all their lives. So there's nothing about it that to them is strange. And it's on me in the event that I need it. And it's ready to go. Now, if you're not going to do that, you need to figure out some way uh, to safely station the firearm within reach because, it, like I said, if to lag time between when the when the dangerous event begins and your ability to retrieve your firearm is too great, then having the firearm was having the firearm in the house was no good at all, was it? So you need to work out something. You need to work out the ways that you're going to do this. Now, it might require you to stage the the firearm or firearms in certain places. That means that uh, at uh, at certain times the firearms are locked up uh, uh, when they're uh, maybe when they're not on you or when there are guests or something. And then at other times, you know, the firearms may be uh, it may be sitting on uh, the top of the book. Shelf uh, when you enter the the hallway from the kitchen or wherever. Not I don't have a bookshelf here, so I'll be looking at my house for that, and that's not where it is. Uh, but but you can have it staged somewhere, and when you stage a firearm, it needs to be staged ready to go. Uh, you don't want to put. Uh, I, to me, it just seems. Uh, very heartbreaking uh, to see people saying, "Here's I'm putting the putting my revolver here, and I'm putting uh, a full box of 50 rounds right here beside it." And uh, <clears throat> and then I'll ask people, "If you don't keep it loaded," they said, "No, I don't consider that to be safe." <clears throat> that's good, and if that's what you want to do, then that's what you're going to do, and that's what you that's what you should do, I guess. But but you are lowering your odds instead of raising them. Uh, the firearm needs to be in a place where you gain access to it, and it needs to be ready to go. Uh, if you think that your manual dexterity is going to increase whenever your stress level is peaking out, that you're going to be able that you're going to be able to control your fine motor skills even better than normal when you're stressed, I'm going to tell you because that's not the way that it works. It's the exact opposite. The higher your stress levels go, the uh, the less ability you have to control your fine motor skills. Uh, 
of uh, it being the, the you've timed yourself in loading your revolver in 30 seconds. Uh, you know, you got the stopwatch, the box of shells, you pop that cylinder open, it's one, two, three, four, five, six. You close the cylinder, cock the hammer, and you're ready to go, 30 seconds. That's not going to be the case if you're under stress. And if you want to see what it's like under your stress, go and put your first baseman's ba- uh, glove on and do it again now. Matter of fact, put a first baseman's uh, mitt on your uh, strong hand and a catcher's mitt on your weak hand and time yourself loading a revolver that way and see how it works out. So that's what it's going to be like whenever you're when you're under stress. <clears throat> but don't advise you leaving the last few critical things to be done when you are at your peak stress levels. Make sure that you have the the pistol staged and ready to go. I wouldn't put it where it was easy to be seen. I wouldn't put it where uh, minors could gain access to it if for some reason they were able to get into your house uh, while you were watering the grass and the neighbor's kids came over or or your sister and her kids showed up. And the first thing that kids do, because they've got that kind of radar for it, they run straight to your revolver and grab it. All right, make sure that uh, wherever your staging point is, that it's not an obvious one and that it is not uh, in a place where it can easily be accessed by folks other than you. All right? And then practice accessing it. <clears throat> if it's there in the hallway, then uh, you stand in the middle of the kitchen and imagine the door uh, slamming open and... Take your steps. You don't have to be freakish about it the first few times. Be very nice and calm. Pace your movement out to where it is. Grab it, turn, and prepare as if to fire. Uh, Now, make sure that when you're doing any type of training or rehearsals that you're doing it with an empty firearm that's uh, been made safe, okay? Never do your cowboy stuff with a hot piece. Make sure that you've uh, you've made it safe when you're doing all of your practice drills, all right? Uh, the number of folks who shot up their house while doing the cowboy stuff is is a high number, all right? Don't add yourself to them because it may not just be a hole in the wall, all right? It may be, uh, it may be some other damage that you do. So make sure that you're doing your rehearsals and you're able to get to the farm wherever you stage it and uh, uh, fairly rapidly, and you're able to use it. <clears throat> now, if your state laws uh, or your own personal decision is that you don't want to have a handgun in the home, then my advice would be to get uh, get a very simple uh, pump shotgun. All right, get a very simple pump shotgun, and then if it's going to be a a home or personal defense firearm, I would I would see about getting uh, one of your buddies or the gunsmith to put a shorter barrel on it for you, and maybe shorten the stock some down too. You don't have to have a goose gun stock on your your home defense firearm. You actually want it to be as probably as short as. Uh, uh, as legally 
uh, uh, allowable uh, in overall length. You want it to be a fairly short, fast system. Now you can get a, a shot, a pump shotgun, uh, really cheap uh, at uh, pawn shops. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. All you need is the ability to fire more than one or two rounds. That pump shot is great for that. You can get the the barrel, the replacement barrel, have your gunsmith uh, uh, shorten the barrel to uh, you know to a shorter length, so, so you don't have a three foot barrel sticking out in front of it. And then shave the stock down to where uh, you can easily uh, you know turn both directions in your hallway or in the bathroom or whatever with it. And a shotgun is uh, probably the the absolute best uh, home defense firearm that uh, that they make. It's just it's it's got to be one of the best because it's easy to use. Uh, and Mr. Martinez, my partner, will uh, be glad to tell you as he does in the fighting shotgun courses that uh, statistics show that uh, people that have been shot with the uh, 12 gauge shotgun and uh, the double lock buckshot, uh, I believe it was from under 25 meters, uh, that if they've been shot uh, anywhere in the body besides in the extremities and the arms and legs, that uh, there was almost a 100% fatality rate on this. Now, you can also, uh, if you're using it inside the home, you can also, you could use even uh, birdshot, and, and that would uh, that would help you to keep from overshooting, that shooting out of your house uh, into uh, across the street or something like that. There would be less chance of it if you use birdshot, and yet uh, uh, an ounce and a half of birdshot is still an ounce and a half of lead, okay? Whether it is in buckshot or if it's in birdshot, it's still an ounce and a half of lead uh, that's going to uh, uh, create havoc on an intruder or an attacker. Same thing with the with the shotgun. And if you're going to have it in your home for personal defense, uh, you're not going to be able to wear it usually unless you cook up some kind of uh, some kind of a holster like uh, Bruce Campbell and you wear that inside your house. Other than that, you're going to have to stage it somewhere. Now, I would advise uh, uh, having it locked in your gun, uh, gun safe during the day until you get home. Then once you're home, you can uh, get it out of the safe and stage it. It's very easy to... Uh, uh, to put up a little gun rack for it uh, in the hallway that will keep it out of uh, little hands and yet make it easily accessible to you. Uh, there are plenty of folks that actually create uh, uh, even furniture that will hold it. Uh, so there are a lot of different things you can do. And then once again, once you, once you have decided that you're going to use a firearm, you have worked through the issues of access to it and safety to it, You've ensured that it is following the laws, the local, state, and federal laws uh, that uh, you fall under, then you need to get training with that firearm. Just because you can load it and fire it 
does not mean that you can use it uh, in the safest and most efficient fashion, all right? So make sure that you get training in it, and then make sure that you rehearse uh, what you're going to do. Uh, Make sure that if there are other folks in the home, your wife, uh, if you have children that are of an age that they can be taught to safely use firearms, then they should be taught to safely use those firearms. Now, I'm not telling you that uh, that you should give them access to your firearms at all times. I'm telling you that they should have instruction and training in the use of that firearm. If you're going to have it in your house, then they should be instructed in how to safely use it. Uh, quite often, uh, uh, the majority, as a matter of fact, because uh, firearms uh, are, uh, statistics show they're used well over a, a million times a year uh, to prevent crimes, but very rarely do you ever hear about it. Usually the the only time you hear about it is when they're showing or they're telling about children using firearms. But children have used firearms uh, thousands of times to prevent crimes and to save their own lives and the lives of their loved ones, of their family members. All right? So it happens. You should make sure that your children, uh, if they're of a safe age to do so, that your children know how to use firearms safely, all right? I'm not telling you that they should have access to them whenever, at any time. I'm just telling you that they should know how to use them, all right? Now, very quickly, uh, let's touch on uh, the fact that there are a lot of other uh, there are a lot of other different means of defending yourself that you can use in addition to or uh, as a replacement for, it's not going to be as good of a replacement, a replacement for self-defense in the home. Uh, I mean, uh, you can use anything. You can use a baseball bat, uh, anything. Uh, a lot of folks have a baseball bat in the umbrella rack around the front door. So they have something they can grab a hold of uh, when somebody came in the front door. Uh, if you don't have that, listen, feel free to be creative, all right? Uh, you can use the umbrella as a jabbing uh, weapon. You can pick up the ashtray that is right there uh, in the entryway. You can pick up a vase. You can grab a picture off the wall and use it as a, a club. Uh, if you're pushed back in the living room, you can pick up a lamp and uh, turn it upside down. Use it as a club to bludgeon your attacker. Uh, there's a cup of pencils on the uh, on the bar top. You can grab those out and jab with those. Uh, you can, uh, if you get pushed into the the kitchen, the kitchen is full of uh, metal pots and pans you can use. Uh, there is, uh, there's a knife drawer or knives on the countertop. You can use those to defend yourself. There are cans of uh, insect and cleaning spray you can use to spray into the attacker's uh, face. Uh, the the uh, the 
number of things in your home that can be used are, are pretty much endless. Uh, the There is pepper spray that you can use. Now, I want to tell you about pepper spray real quick is that uh, pepper spray, spray, spray comes in all shapes and sizes, all the way from the little tiny lipstick containers uh, to the big fire extinguisher size uh, that are for used for bears and riot control. All right. Uh, the way pepper spray works is by attacking the the eyes and the mucous membranes uh, and causing severe irritation. So, in order for this for you to make this work, you're going to need to get as much in the mucous membranes as possible. That means uh, the the smaller lipstick size is great if you're out and about, but for inside the home, I would use one of the larger uh, commercially available. Uh, foggers. Uh, now, a note about this is that it's uh, it's great. You're going to put out a lot of pepper spray into the person's uh, uh, eyes, nose, and throat, but uh, understand that you're going to get some too. All right? Everybody in the house is going to get some. If you spray even the smallest amount of spray there in your home, everybody in the house is going to get some. If you've never experienced pepper spray or OC, then uh, then before you use this or before you depend on it, spray some in your hand, uh, get it close to your face but not touching your face and get yourself a whiff of it so you can see how you react to it. If it's for some reason, if, it's, if you're allergic to it or, or it incapacitates you, then, then you know that's not something that you want to use, okay? There are uh, tasers and stun guns uh, that uh, you can use and and try out a note about tasers and stun guns. <clears throat> These are to be used uh, to uh, to create the ability for you to get away from your attacker. I would never depend on them to incapacitate an attacker. Simply to create enough time from for the person to get away or to get to a better form of self-defense. All right, and. Uh, the last note that I'm going to put on here is that uh, the most important part, the most important uh, device that you have for self-defense is your mind, all right, is your mind and your will. Uh, because if you decide, if you make the decision to fight, uh to defend yourself. And that's going to have to be a decision that you make uh, depending on your situations uh, and your circumstances, then the absolute worst thing you can do is to go into a self-defense struggle half-heartedly. A half-hearted attempt to, to defend yourself is almost guaranteed to cause you injury. There's a chance, not a, not a really good one, but still a chance that a person, even a person of smaller stature, armed with that French chef knife, but they're 100% committed to the attack, that they might be able to drive off or even kill an African lion. But if that same person half-heartedly jabs a, a, an inch or two inches of that knife into the lion's shoulder, there's going to be hell to pay, okay? Uh, professional boxers and fighters will tell you that many times a fight is your lost or won before the contestants even enter the ring. If you're going to fight to your 